Hi, this is John, by the way, and welcome to my podcast. I am looking today at Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. And before I started that, I wanted to mention in the Religion 211 student manual, this is the Institute of Religion manual used by young adults in BYU religion classes, there is this really nice little chart on page 4. This uh, Religion 211 student manual can be found on for free on the church's, you know, app. Under library, I think you go to young adults and you'll find the institute manual. And I thought it was really helpful, and I quizzed my students on this, is to know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the four Gospels, Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, I think it says St. Mark, the Gospel according to St. Luke, the Gospel according to St. John. And please remember, those were changed in the Joseph Smith translation to the testimony of Matthew, the testimony of Mark, testimony of Luke, testimony of John. The synoptic Gospels, same I, synoptic are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot of the same material. In Matthew, 58% of the material there is found in the other Gospels. In Mark, 93% of the material there is in the other Gospels. In Luke, 41% of the material is in the other Gospels. I'm looking at this chart. And then in the book of John, only 8% is in the other Gospels. So what's unique to Matthew? 42%. What's unique to Mark? Only 7%. What's unique to Luke? 59%. What is unique to the book of John? 92% of the material in the book of John is unique to the book of John. So it's helpful to see that. But what I think is most helpful is to see who these Gospel writers, their primary audience was. And this is what the scholars believe. The primary audience for the book of Matthew were Jewish people. And this is why Matthew so often quotes the Old Testament and brings up things that Isaiah said or others to say, look, this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. And that is Matthew's focus, to tell the Jewish people Christ is the king, the fulfillment of prophecy. What about the book of Mark? Well, in the book of Mark, the primary audience is the book of Romans. And in the book of Mark, we focus on Christ, the suffering Son of God and servant of all. Another thing I've noticed about the book of Mark is people are amazed and astonished a lot. It sounds like the Book of Mormon to me, because <laughs> people are always amazed and exceedingly astonished and stuff like that. In the book of Luke, the focus is on the Greeks, or I've also heard the Gentiles, you know, everybody else. The Greeks are Gentiles. And the focus is Christ, the Savior of all mankind. In the book of John, the book of John was written to members of the Church of Jesus Christ and is showing that Christ is the divine Son of God. Now, all of these overlap, of course. But if I can just restate that again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. And they can be harmonized. So you'll see people who have even written books called A Harmony of the Gospels, where they kind of try to put it all in order in a chronology. But the book of John is its own thing. 92% of it is unique. Matthew wrote to the Jews, Mark to the Romans, Luke to the Greeks or Gentiles, and John to members of the church. So, another thing I wanted to emphasize is just how much I love the Bible. The Book of Mormon and the Bible are not rivals. They are companions. They are twin witnesses of Jesus Christ. And what I love about the 
Bible is we have the life, the mortal Christ here. The Book of Mormon has prophecies of Christ, but the immortal Christ, the resurrected Jesus, is the one who appeared to the righteous among the Nephites and the Lamanites. But in the Bible, we have the mortal Christ that people had to decide if they accepted him or not. The first several pages of the uh, Religion 211 student manual are excellent in kind of giving what's going on, cultural background, Bible translations, and so forth, which are really nice and really helpful. In fact, there is a, uh, a seminary teacher, I think his YouTube name is Brother Fulmer. I think they're brothers, two brothers, Brother Fulmer and Brother Fulmer, that do these videos, and one of them is called The Bible in Eight Minutes, which I recommend. Go watch that. I think it's interesting that we've just done Old Testament and covered thousands of years, but in the New Testament, we're basically one generation, the generation of, of Jesus and the apostles, and so much time, centuries being covered by the Old Testament, but basically one century in the New, or all of it within one century, really, unless you think about, you know, John the Revelator, who, who is still around as a translated being. Okay, so I wanted to quote some things from Elder M. Russell Ballard about the Bible. The Bible is one of the pillars of our faith, a powerful witness of the Savior and of Christ's ongoing influence in the lives of those who worship and follow Him. The more we read and study the Bible and its teachings, the more clearly we see the doctrinal underpinnings of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. We tend to love the scriptures that we spend time with. We may need to balance our study in order to love and understand all Scripture. You young people especially do not discount or devalue the Holy Bible. It is the sacred holy record of the Lord's life. It is the bedrock of all Christianity. Still quoting Elder Ballard, now President Ballard, I am puzzled by any who would question this church's belief in the Bible and our position as Christians. The name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In our last general conference here in this building, our church leaders quoted from the Bible nearly 200 times. This church is organized and functions like the church that Christ and his apostles established in the New Testament. I bear solemn witness that we are true and full believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his revealed word through the Holy Bible. We not only believe the Bible, we strive to follow its precepts and to teach its message. What I like about this endorsement is to try and settle any question about our devotion and love for the Bible. Because a lot of people characterize the Book of Mormon as the Mormon Bible, it sounds like it's a replacement. No, it's not. It's a, another testament from another side of the world. One of the things the Book of Mormon does that's a little different than the Bible to me is it, has, it just has a different tone. The authors saw us, saw our day, and it's, it's if they're speaking to us, knowing we're reading it. And the Bible is more of a report or testimonies or letters written down. Book of Mormon actually says, I'm going to meet you one day <laughs> and things like that, which is kind of a different tone or personality. But this particular first lesson is about Luke 1 and Matthew 1. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1 first. And I just wanted to note a couple of things. First of all, in Matthew chapter 1, we have a genealogy of, it begins the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham, and goes all the way to verse 17. And in verse 17, it speaks of the generations from Abraham to David are 14, from David to carrying Babylon are 14, from Babylon to Christ are 14. There's a love for the number 14 there because scholars believe they used to add up the number value of letters in a name, David's name, DVD in our alphabet, or Daleth Vav Daleth in the Hebrew, I may be saying that wrong, adds up to 14, is the fourth letter. Vav is the sixth, and D is the fourth again. So this was Matthew trying to say, look, son of David, this Jesus is the son of David. But there are women in this genealogy, and even Bathsheba in verse 6, that had been the wife of Urias, it says. And I wanted to read something from this religion student manual about, about that. Several women are mentioned in Matthew's pedigree of Jesus Christ, it says on page 13 of the, the Religion 211 manual. Tamar was from Adullam in Canaanite territory. Rahab was a Canaanite of Jericho. Ruth was a Moabitess before converting to Judaism. And Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, a Hittite. Thus, all four were either non-Israelites or associated with non-Israelites. What can we learn from Matthew's inclusion of these four women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And here's the answer. I love this. First, God worked through Gentiles in the past, thus preparing Matthew's readers to appreciate the commission to teach all nations that would come at the end of his gospel. That's the great commission, the last couple of verses of Matthew 28. Second, the mention of these particular women, each of whom figured in a controversy of some sort in the Old Testament, shows that in Israel's past, God had worked through people and situations that the Jews would not have expected, thus preparing Matthew's readers for the account that is immediately to follow, Mary and the virgin birth. Third, it shows us, it shows all of us today, personal righteousness is not dependent on possessing the perfect lineage, since Jesus Christ's lineage was not perfect. Finally, the inclusion of women in the Savior's pedigree reflects the important truth that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. I'm so glad that they put that there, because some of us might look at our genealogy, even our immediate genealogy, my father's not active, my parents have problems, or whatever, and somehow worry about that or feel like we are affected by that. Well, this shows that in the genealogy of Jesus, there were all kinds of strange situations, some sort of controversies with these women that were mentioned. And so I'm, I'm glad they included that little thing there. And then when we get down to Joseph, and we all know this story, we read it every Christmas, that in verse 19 of Matthew 1, Joseph was a just man, not willing to make her a public example. He was minded to put her away privily. He didn't want Mary to be embarrassed or to make her ashamed in front of people. So if he was going to divorce, it would have been a quiet thing to help her save face. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So this tells us tons about Joseph right there. And that in the dream, Joseph was told to fear not to take Mary to, to wife. And Matthew quotes, as he so often will do, something from the Old Testament. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken 
of the Lord by the prophet, saying, A virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm so intrigued of that name and also the promise that we receive every week at the sacrament table that we can always have his spirit to be what? With us. And the Great Commission, the very end of Matthew. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. There's the promise of Emmanuel repeated at the end. In Luke chapter 1, we have a couple of things I wanted to point out. We have the same story, but I am intrigued with starting in verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord. The Christian world for years has called these verses 46 through 55 as the Magnificat. And this is where Mary exalts and glories in the Lord. It sounds like a psalm. One of the things you might not know just from reading it is that she is repeating many important Old Testament phrases, which tells us that Mary, as young as she was, was a student of the scriptures and knew her Old Testament. She wouldn't call it Old Testament. Then, of course, Zacharias gives something called the, the Benedictus, starting in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He hath visited and redeemed his people. And he goes off about all the wonderful things that God has done. Now, I wrote a book for Christmas years ago called Born This Happy Morning, and I took Mary's Magnificat and put it next to Nephi's Psalm in 2 Nephi 4 and was just kind of intrigued by how similar they were. Also, notice that both Mary and Nephi say that they have been highly favored of the Lord. Verse 30 of Luke 1, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. And this idea of being favored, not that God has favorite people, but that we choose that status by being righteous, by being where we're supposed to be, by repenting and, and striving, right? And so this idea of being favored, both Nephi and Mary, what's intriguing to me is Mary in a moment of exaltation, Nephi in a moment of, oh, wretched man that I am, both of them go to their testimony of God to find comfort or even to, to celebrate in this case. One of the things that verse 35 mentions is when Mary says, how shall this be? The angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. A lot of our critics a lot of antis criticize us because for things that we don't even believe, I think. We don't know exactly how that conception happened. And I am very appreciative of what President Ezra Taft Benson said once about Nephi's vision going back to Lehi sees the tree of life. Nephi says, I want to see what my father saw. And Nephi kind of sees an expanded version of Lehi's dream. He sees it on two screens. He sees what Lehi sees, the building, the rod of iron, the tree of life. And then he sees the life of Christ interwoven into Lehi's dream. But the angel says, look, and Nephi sees all these wonderful things. Now look at this. And what do you see? And look at this. And 
Nephi actually learns the name of, of Mary. So, 1 Nephi eleven fourteen came to pass, I saw the heavens open, an angel came down and stood before me, and he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? Nephi answers with one of my favorite verses. And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. He started with what he knew. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Verse 18, He said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. Verse 19, It came to pass, I beheld she was carried away in the Spirit, after she had been carried away in the Spirit. For the space of a time the angel spake unto me, saying, Look! And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Same verse, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? See, the tree is, is Christ in his gospel. Now, if you look at verse 20, I beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms. President Ezra Taft Benson has said, Please notice that Mary was referred to as a virgin both before and after the birth of Christ. And that should solve any questions that we have about how did this conception happen. We don't know. It was miraculous. The Holy Ghost was present. It was done. I, I don't know how it was done. It was a miracle. And I'm grateful for that Book of Mormon kind of clarifying that for us. Well, just as John the Baptist grew his, the last verse of Luke chapter 1 sounds a little bit like the last chapter of Luke chapter 2. Luke 1 is but John the Baptist, verse 80, The child grew, waxed strong in spirit, was in the deserts till the day of his shewing unto Israel. So the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. Luke 2.52, which we'll cover next time, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So there's a few ideas about the Bible and Luke 1 and Matthew 1, here's where we get John the Baptist coming and Mary becoming the, the mother of Christ. And one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned, but I forgot, was when Mary says in Luke 1 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. This is an important issue today. I just think we can hear in that Mary giving her consent to what was about to happen. Be it unto me according to thy word. Okay, I agree. I will do this. And the angel departed from her. And I think that's, that's an important point to make. Oh, so much to, to see and to cover. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me. 